This is Nicholas Brooks, and you are listening to Behind the Note Podcast with Chris Davis. You're listening to Behind the Note Podcast, brought to you by a musician for musicians. Here, you will get advice toward a successful music career. This show is made to educate, inspire, motivate, and empower. Now, here is your host, Chris Davis. Thank you for pressing play today. This is episode number 43. And once again, we have a great show for you. Today, we're going to talk about some great topics that every musician really needs to talk about with other musicians to get over these problems. And one of those things is imposter syndrome. That's just the belief that you're not good enough or the belief that somebody else is better than you, which leads you to believe that you're not good enough. We're going to talk about imposter syndrome. We're also going to talk about how to be a great side man and in return, how to be a great band leader And that's something we've talked about before, but that's also something we can't talk about too much. And we have a great person just to do that. Another great guest for you with great experiences. And let's get to the show right now. Today's guest has performed with everyone from Mindy A. Bear, Walter Beasley, Peebo Bryson, Kenny Lattimore. The list goes on. I'm so happy to have him on the show today. And this is also... One of my friends, I'm happy to present to you today, Marquel Jordan. Thanks for joining us, Marquel. Hey, Chris. What's going on, brother? Good to be here, man. Man, I'm so so happy to finally have you on the show. We've been talking about this for a while. Yeah, we have. We have. I'm glad it worked out, too. I'm glad. I'm happy to be here. Ready to roll. Man, (laughs) so you have so many uh, experiences that I just wanted to talk about with you, and I thought it would be great for people to hear from you because of those experiences. But but first, I want to introduce you a little bit better to the audience. I just told people who you've played with in the past, but uh, let's get to know you a little bit. So let's start with you telling us what you like to do when you're not performing music. It's When you play music or you're a musician, everything you do kind of revolves around it. So there really is no downtime per se. But if there is some downtime, uh, other than trying to rest and relax, um, I like to uh, check out some sports. Basketball is like my favorite thing. Um, don't catch movies as much as I would like to, uh, but that's always something cool. I like to try to get outdoors and, and um, you know, try to be outside, you know, and whether it's just a drive down Lakeshore um, Drive or just going to work out or ride my bike or something like that. You know, just normal, regular stuff, I guess. Now, I, I have the advantage of knowing you a little bit. Yeah. And I remember a few years ago, uh, you had an injury. I don't know if it was a broken angle, ankle or Achilles. <laughs> it was an Achilles. It was, it was the Kobe Bryant injury. Oh, man. So I want to know, do you still play after that? No, man. Actually, um, you know, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say that like, it's been two and a half years since I injured myself. And it's still not 100%. You know, I, yeah. I did rehab for a few months, but then really fell off of it because of uh, insurance issues and stuff. So it's, I mean, I can work, walk and I can run a little bit. Can't dance as good as I used to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it's just still pretty weak. So it needs to be strengthened. And I would like to, but, you know, that's a pretty common injury from what I hear. Like guys in my age trying to get out and play basketball is probably not a good thing to do. Yes. I know other close friends that same thing happened to them. So Is that right? Wow. That's true. Yep. So it, it is common. 
So I want to know uh, about the moment that you realized you wanted to be a musician. I don't really know if I necessarily mem- remember it. There's a story that my father loves to tell. Um, I grew up in Los Angeles and um, like in the early 70s. Um, and, you know, my dad played a lot of music around the house. He played a lot of Train and a lot of Miles Davis. And just, you know, really pretty much the wide spectrum of black music. Um, you could hear it at my house. So he likes to tell the story about how I grabbed um, a Love Supreme, pulled it, uh, the album, and pulled it out, put it on the turntable, set the needle down exactly on the turntable. And I did all of this, I guess, when I was three years old. <laughs> so he noticed me doing it. So he kind of just sat back and watched me do this. And, um, you know, I, I, I guess... I've always been around music as long as I can remember. So I think it was just something that I wanted to do. I think that's probably when he noticed that I really had a a big attention to it or a big attraction to it rather. But for me, I think it was just, you know, my dad played music. He, you know, around the house, he was, he played congas and stuff. Um, He was kind of a frustrated musician, but he had such a passion for it. So, you know, most, most sons want to be like their dads. And I think um, I just kind of, uh, you know, drifted towards music because he was into it. And then I really found out that I had an ear for it, you know, probably around, I guess, maybe 10 or 11. I started realizing that I actually had an ear and could kind of pick up things that the average friend of mine and the average student really couldn't pick up. So I was like, hey, I might have something here. So, you know, I think probably around then, that's when I knew that I wanted to do this. I didn't know how. But, you know, by then I was taking music lessons and stuff. I was playing clarinet in high school, uh, ju- uh, elementary school, rather, and um, starting to try to get things together. But I knew it was something I wanted to do, probably around 10 or 11, I guess. So do you remember your first gig? I remember my first performance. Um, and it happened to be, um, like, graduation and uh, from, from elementary school. And, you know, to date myself... It, I graduated from the sixth grade in like 1982. So the big song was uh, Ebony and Ivory at that time. So, you know, the whole class sang it, the graduating class sang it. And, um, you know, I think out of 20 something students, you know, there were just like maybe three or four really strong voices and mine was one of them. Uh, So that was that was interesting because when my parents went to the graduation, it's like, man, we can really hear you over everybody else. That was like, I was like, wow, really? So then a couple of days later was the last day of school and they had like a talent show. So my first real, real performance was, um, it was me and my two boys at the time in school. And we were kind of did like a sing over the record performance to Daz Let It Whip, which is kind of crazy, dude. That's funny. them guys, they didn't know the lyrics. I did. And um, I kind of felt like I was out there by myself. But, you know, at first they were last. But then um, the more we went along with it, people kind of got into it. So that was the first one, man. It was kind of crazy. I think I was probably wasn't even 12 yet, you know, when that happened. And so we didn't say so yet, but, but you actually today earn your living through performing saxophone and singing. Right. Yes, I do. So that's, that's a pretty significant story. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm now trying to really dig in to find out if you remember like your first paid gig and what might have led up to that. Um, wow. I think, and I can't remember if it was a paid gig or not, but I do remember um, 
um, I moved to Kansas when I was uh, about to start high school. So I wound up going to college in state um, at the University of Kansas. And I think this was like, um, you know, my first year was at Kansas State University and then I transferred. And I think this might've been the summer uh, between my freshman and sophomore year between me transferring and a good friend of mine, saxophone player by the name of Tim Doherty, he had a gig um, downtown in Kansas City, Missouri. He asked me to come by and kind of sit in. So I came by and sat in. And so that, that was like the first time that I really kind of played out publicly um and i think they really get to a point of really having a string of professional gigs probably until my junior year i started playing with a bar band and um you know so that that would say like january 1991 is when it started really getting professional so to speak where i i didn't necessarily know what i was doing but i threw myself into a situation of performing in, in front of people at that point so that's when I started getting things together, though. That really was like, like kind of an eye-opening period for me. So for you, this is something that you kind of stumbled upon. Is that true? Um, yes and no. Um, I say stumbled upon is accurate because I wasn't the quote-unquote disciplined musician that you hear about, the guy that practices all the time, and they know that no matter what, this is what they're going to do and they, you know, they'll live out a car and they start like all of those stories that we kind of romanticize as musicians. Like I, that wasn't my story. My story was really more of, um, I was good at it. It seemed like a hobby at the time. It was something I knew I wanted to do, but always in the back of my mind, it was like, you should do something practical. My parents were really trying to be, have me be a little practical too. So I always, I guess I kind of describe it as having one foot in and one foot out. So um, main reason why I transferred schools is because University of Kansas had a better music program. And, you know, but I wasn't majoring in music. What I was doing, I, I was in the jazz band. I took uh, private lessons from an incredible saxophone professor by the name of Vince Ganoyak. And, um, you know, I did that for a couple of years. And then I, I was in the gospel choir for a couple of years there. As a and, singer? Um, yeah, as a okay. singer. As a singer. Um, and then I started playing in this band, uh, which was uh, called, what do we, what were we called? We called Soul Shaker. And uh, so that's when it really started. That's when I really started figuring out what to do in front of the audience, how to play, because you don't really know. You practice all the time, or if you're just playing one big concert at the end of the semester with the jazz band or a jazz combo, you don't really get a chance to know what it's really like to perform. So that's kind of where it started to happen, you know? So it was, I was doing things that were musical, but I wasn't, it wasn't like I had just this one focus, if you understand what I'm saying. So, you know, I didn't really know exactly what I was doing, but at the same time, I was putting myself in positions where I had to really figure out what I was doing. So, you know, it was kind of school of hard knocks a little bit. And you, you uh, went to school and you got a degree in business administration. Yeah. Right. Uh huh. Yep. That's funny because I hear you laughing. But yeah. so when you graduated, did you try to put that to use right away? Sure. Uh, by that time, um, when I graduated, I, I was definitely knew that I want to be a musician. But I was looking at college loans and you know also being kind of practical, which is the reason why I got the degree that I got. Um, you know. So what I really wanted to do, I decided. 
myself and the woman who I was dating at the time, we decided to move to Chicago and um, I was going to, you know, make my way in the industry. But then at the same time, I really wanted to try to do something like in the finance or banking industry, you know, and um, but I didn't really have any internships or any experience. So I wound up temping to get my experience. So then I wound up doing a lot of accounting type functions. So I did that. Man, for like 13 years, I held down some sort of a day job um, doing some sort of accounting business and then try to play as many gigs as I could at night. Now, today, I know you play. You play. Yeah. <laughs> you perform. Yeah. You perform now. Yeah. So uh, when was that turning point? How did that happen for you? Um, it, it really kind of like I think I had to be put in a position where this was all that I had left. And um, so it, it, I think it was definitely divine intervention or a blessing, you know, because I um, so I was working for the Chicago Reader. I did that for seven years, which was a pretty flexible job for me um, because, you know, I could pretty much set my own schedule or if I need to leave early to go perform a gig or go out of town and do something like that, I could. I pretty much could do what I wanted. But... You know, they, the owners, um, the partners of the paper at the time, this is like 2007, they got out of the business. So they sold the company and eventually downsized, and I was part of um, that process. So I was laid off, and I did look for work, but um, I really couldn't find anything, and it was just really frustrating. And by this point, you know, I'd had enough experience in playing music, and I knew that's really all that I wanted to do. So I was having a conversation with a really good friend of mine, a drummer by the name of Chris Miskell. And I was kind of talking to him right after I got laid off and how frustrated I was about things. And um, he was telling me, you know, I'm going to talk to Brian Culbertson about you, you know. And I was like, yeah, okay, you know, just kind of put it in the back of my mind. And and three months later, lo and behold, uh, I get a call from Chris saying that Brian wanted to meet me. You know, there was an opening in in this band for a saxophonist. And um, they happened to be coming through town and, you know, he showed up at a gig that I was at. So he heard me play. He heard me sing and and pretty much offered me the gig like a couple of days later. And it was, you know, a spot in his touring band um, singing and and playing. So at that point, I actually had started a temp job then. But I just knew it was only a matter of time. I was like, okay, once once we start getting into the summer months for the tour, that's it. This is all I'm going to be doing. So, you know, give or take about six or eight months in between at one point or another. Since 2008, I've been a professional musician and a professional musician only, you know, and it's, you know, when you have all your time to focus on doing this, it's a whole lot better than splitting time and energy because you just feel tired and just kind of pulled in so many different directions. So um, I'm really happy to say this is what I do for a living. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing to say. And uh that's all we that's all we do behind the no podcast. For for the people who aren't doing it yet, but they want to. So so you mentioned that around that two thousand seven era, you knew that you wanted to play music full time, but then you weren't doing it yet and the company downsized and that was kind of cool because it made you go ahead all in until what you wanted really wanted to do. So right, what, right. what was holding you back in, in your mind? Um, a couple of things. I think um, 
maybe not fear so much, but I think the fear definitely had to have something to do with it. You just think, oh, how can I make it? You know, and then I was also married at the time and I had a daughter and I have a daughter rather. And you just think about, okay, you know, from a traditional standpoint, is the life of a musician secure enough in order to, you know, provide a household and a family and, you know, and keep things kind of um, sound financially. So, you know, that was always kind of pulling at me. Plus, I'm an asthmatic. And at that time, you know, it was before the days of Obamacare, um, you know, a lot of day, a lot of you, you have to keep a job in order to just, you know, for medical benefits, health benefits. So th- I think that was those are the three main things, you know, but, you know, I, I knew I would say even back as early as like 2000, like when I really started working at Chicago Reader, that this is what I wanted to do. Like by then I I, I knew that, you know, I just. You know, you just take the safe route and, and just try to make sure the bills are paid. But I realized then, and, you know, any advice that I could give to your podcast listeners is that if you don't go into it 100 percent, you're really kind of cheating yourself. And I won't necessarily say it, it, you're wasting time because you learn everything from all these experiences. But, you know, it's always better if you're going to put all of your energy into being in the arts or being a performer or being a musician, it just works out better. You get more opportunities. The universe provides for you. And, and that's pretty much what's happened for me since, you know, I've been doing this full time. That's a great message. That might even end up being the title of the show. So, <laughs> so right, right on. So I want to ask you, what's the best advice you've ever received uh, regarding music career? I got one from um, recently that, that I, that I'm still trying to manifest. I think it's going to show up on my next record, but um, this is a great R&B artist, independent soul artist by the name of Eric Robertson. And uh, he told me, you know, I gave him my CD for him to check out, like on this cruise gig that we were on um, close to two years ago. And I was like, I really wanted his opinion because he's done like 10 independent albums. He's a great lyricist, great singer, you know, and and his advice to me was, um, you know, when you're writing music, when you sit down and write music, if you're going to write something with lyrics, you should play your saxophone first and then write your lyrics based to what you play. Um, you know, because he said that that really is going to be the individual thing that kind of puts apart, you know, sets apart what it is that I'm trying to do. So I, I thought, like, man, I never really thought about it that way you know i always approach like singing in one way and then playing saxophone in another way but not really thinking of them as one kind of focus or approach and sound so that i'm still trying to manifest that one um but like that's the greatest most recent advice that i've got um ernie adams just said something really great to me too we just did had a performance together and he was just like you know you sound pretty different in your approach to saxophone, you know, just work on, you know, work on some more of that bebop stuff and um, keep doing what you're doing and, and, you know, just stay in the direction that you're in. So I think, you know, I went, I spent a lot of my early years spinning my wheels, not thinking that what I was offering was good enough or that was disciplined enough, you know, and I was looking at other artists or looking at other people and trying to do what they do. But I don't really think that things started happening to me until I until I realized what it was that I have to offer. You know, like 
the the gift that I can give is different than what anybody else can do, you know, because it's coming from my perspective. So that's that's really where I think that's probably the best advice that I've gotten just through experience is just be the best me that I can be. Yeah, that's sound advice. That's uh, what you experienced is called imposter syndrome. And every everybody experiences it. It's the belief, the thought or the belief that you're not good enough, that somebody else is better than you or, you know, putting yourself down in, in that type of thinking. But just as you stated, you have something unique to give that nobody else can give. So uh, everybody should just remember that and don't let that hold you back from moving forward. Yeah, that's really... That's great advice. I love that. Thanks for sharing that with us. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. So, man, there's so many things, other things I need to talk about. Let's start with this one. Okay. Um, your biography on your website, it's great. I noticed. And I was like, wow. Immediately, it just pulls the reader in. It makes you want to read a biography. That is not normal. Normally you just you just skim and you say okay but okay you play with this but okay okay yeah this guy can play but <laughs> you you have a story and it's in, it's entertaining because it's your story so I guess how were you hip enough to to do that you know did you have some help do you have a team of people helping you and if you do tell us about that um, you know the team is is kind of you know it's evolving I've had people kind of fall into place when I needed them to fall into place, so to speak. Um, but one of the people who really, really helped me was this consultant. Um, she's based out of Florida by the name of Kim Giles, or Giles. I can't remember how exactly she pronounces it. But, you know, and she really kind of consults guys on getting projects started, you know, whether it's releasing a single or releasing an album or just anything that you would need help help on and really trying to get um, your music out to the masses. And she had access to some some guys that write reviews and, and that do bios and, and that work on press kits. So this was um, a story that was written by um, a guy that does reviews whose name, uh, sadly right now I can't remember, I feel really bad about that. Um, but he kind of took the pieces from what we talked about, we had like maybe a 45 minute interview and he had the, he had the debut CD and he had the bio that I worked on. Cause I wrote all of my bios prior to that, but he definitely took it to another level. And, um, he was able to tie in all the pieces of, you know, my musical history and, and, and influences and, and experiences. And it was able to, you know, write it up in, in what is on the website. Yeah, that's really good. Everybody should check out, Marquell's bi biography because in general musicians don't have a biography that look like that I've seen it in other places outside of music but I haven't seen it inside of music wow. so so check that out MarquellJordan.com am I telling the truth? yeah, All right. yeah that's it Marquell, MarquellJordan.com is really worth uh, reading and, and adopting uh, that, <laughs> that technique so get somebody to help you so you say um, I'm sorry tell me one more time where we can possibly go to get that type of help where does Kim Giles work? Um, her oh. website is uh, Beyond One Entertainment. All right. Beyondoneentertainment.com. All one word, of course. And, um, you know, she's definitely, you know, I know she's kind of a, uh, 
she doesn't work with everybody. She's she's fairly selective, but she's been a wealth of information. And um, you know, and if she can't help you, she can point you in the direction of someone who definitely can. You know. Thanks. That's that's perfect. Absolutely. So I want to ask you this: What lessons have you learned from being a sideman that have helped you as a band leader? You have a you have a band, Marquel mm-hmm. Jordan and the Players. Yeah, it is. And, yeah, it is. And you also perform with Brian Culbertson as a sideman mm-hmm. and many others as a sideman. Right. So, so what have you learned from being a sideman that helps you as a band leader? Um, I think first and foremost is that you have to know that as a sideman, it's not, it's not about you. You're there to service the artist and you're there to service the song uh, or songs, be whatever it is, the performance situation that you're in. So... A good leader sets the foundation for everybody and good sidemen follow the the game plan. I mean, it's pretty much like sports in a way. It's like the basketball coach draws up the play, you execute it. And, you know, when you try to get outside of the play, that's when problems start, you know. And I think once everybody's on the same page, you know, that's the great thing. And and as a sideman, I think it's also important that while you are serving the leader and you are serving the music that, you know, you feel like you're vested in the music too. Like you're an important part of what's going on. Not that they could just stick any musician there to do what you're doing, but that you're an integral part of what's happening. And, you know, you want to feel like you can contribute something to the music or be creative to the music as a side man. You want to feel like you're being utilized in, in the best way, you know, without getting in the way of overstaging what's happening. Like it's a real delicate balance. So as a sideman, you got to know not to go too far. As a leader, you got to know not to oppress the the creative um, talents of the cast that work with you that much. So I think that's what I've been able to learn is the push and pull, because you can go out and you can see a lot of artists playing instrumental music and, they never let any assignment solo. Never. You know, it's just they're there to just basically hold up the whole show for you to do your, you know, narcissistic thing. <laughs> but, you know, all of the great bands, all Miles Davis, Train, you know, Sting's band when he had Brantford in it, you know, all of those guys got a chance to stretch out and play. And that's what, you know, I try to do as well um, as a leader is let the guys stretch out and play and and not necessarily always dictate what exactly I want those guys to play on a groove, you know, play this note or play that note. You know, there is that. Obviously, you have to do that. But at the same time, I want cats to be able to be creative and and contribute something because that's how a sound is developed. You know, it's not just, you know, the leader and embarking out what you should be doing. It's really about you know, everybody kind of coming together and collaborating and bringing the individual things as a whole together to make one sound. So, you know, you, you got to learn how to serve the music and, and serve the artist. And those are the two things that I really learned as a sideman. You know, as a leader, you're, you're aware of that. And you just want to set that environment when you when you um, have cats that play in your band. That's really good. That's really good. I'm going to ask you one more question, and uh, then we'll let you go. And I want to know what would you tell a younger version of yourself 
to help you get to where you are today, maybe a little faster if you could help it? I would tell the younger version of myself, practice, practice more. Um, because when you get older and you want to practice, it's not as much time to practice, whether if you have a family and you have to do family things or especially now with everything being, you know, independent artists or people doing what I do or what you're doing, we're pulled in so many different directions. We don't, we can't just focus on the music. You have to do marketing, you have to do website development, you have to, you know, call and get gigs and, and set up a press kit and, and, and do all of those things. That takes away from the time that you have to be, just to be able to just sit up on your horn and play. So I would say, take care of these years, practice now. So you can get a good foundation of what you want the music to do later because you won't have this kind of time. And then I think the second thing, the most important thing I would tell myself is that you're good enough. Don't be afraid to get out here and play this music or to get out here and fail. Don't worry about it. And I think if I'd have done those two things and really just pushed, I would have gotten a lot further, a lot faster, you know, because... Most of the people, when they have heard me perform or heard me sing or heard me play or do my thing, it's always been the same response. Even when I was unsure myself, you know, people always responded positively to what I was doing and thought that I really had a talent and a gift. You know, it just took me a long time to catch up to what other people were thinking about myself. You know, if I practiced more, then I would have felt prepared more to get out there and maybe less fear of getting out there. So those are the two things that I would say is just practice and believe in yourself and, and get out there. Don't, don't have any fear, have one mind and, and focus on being a musician and, and, and do that, you know, cause if that doesn't work after you've done everything, then you could fall back on something. But going at it and one foot, one, in, one foot in and one foot out, like I was saying earlier, it just kind of stunts your growth, so to speak. Man, that's great advice, and thanks for sharing that with us. And before I let you go, I want to just remind everybody, you have a CD called Catalyst that's available for sale. And where can people buy that? A couple of different places. Um, there's a few links on my website you can get it through. Um, so that's www.markwelljordan. That's spelled M-A-R-Q-U-E-A-L-J-O-R-D-A-N.com. Um, if you want to go directly to the sites and not through the website, you can go to CD Baby to get it. Um, you can also get a physical copy from Amazon.com. Um, and then they're all, it's on all of the digital outlets. So you can find it on iTunes, and Google Play, and, and whatever digital outlet you have for your music or to get your music from, you can find it there. Um, there's, it's only available officially. Um, in one store um, at this point, and that's uh, George's music George's music room rather um, at uh, Chicago Midway Airport. So if you're traveling through there, you can stop by there and pick up a copy. And if you're not traveling by there, you just go over there to pick up the album, and then, <laughs> and then go on about your business. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so <laughs> that's really cool. Well, I appreciate you, Mark. Well, thanks for spending time with us today. Man, thanks a lot, Chris. Anytime, man. I'd love to come back and rap some more, man. All right. And that's our talk with Marquel Jordan. I hope you enjoyed that. A few points to take away. Number one, Marquel took the responsible route, and who can blame him? But what happened? At the, at the end of it all, he ended up losing his job. That was around the 
recession. And then he was forced to pursue music. And once he went in, all in, at 100%, then he found some success. I like that story because it could easily be your name in that place instead of Marquel or my name in that place. So go ahead, go all in. If this is something that you feel that you're called to do, go all in. You won't be sorry. That's all for today's show. Go to iTunes and rate and review Behind the Note Podcast. Until next episode, God bless you.